Hey, Little Things listeners, I'm so excited to announce that Time of Grace is hosting its first ever women's event. It's called Unbreakable, Finding Strength in the Storms, and it's taking place this April 26th and 27th at the Ingleside Hotel in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Some of my favorite people are going to be there, and if you've been listening to Little Things for any amount of time, I bet there's some of your favorite people too. Because last summer, in June and July, we aired the Faith Journeys episodes, and you got to know Dr. Joan Prince, Dr. Rhoda Woolley, Lori Lorig, and all the Time of Grace bloggers, Emily Krill, Katie Augustine, Missy Martins, and Linda Buxa. They are all going to be there giving presentations and breakout sessions that offer their biblical wisdom on how to face storms. And if that isn't enough, Pastor Jeremy Maddock is also going to be there with his evening encouragements, live and in person. So we want you to come hang out with us, connect, get to know us so we can get to know you. We want you to be part of this. To find out more, go to the episode notes to get to the landing page and to register. Can't wait to see you there. We are joined today by Pastor Mike Novotny, backed by popular demand. (laughs) Very special. Was there any demand at all? (laughs) Okay. With God as my witness, (laughs) maybe. Actually, yes, I can say there is a demand because you were one of my most listened to episodes when we talked about what's big, start small. So yes, there is demand. You totally redeemed yourself. That was going to be an awkward way to start a podcast (laughs) with no one cares, but back, <laughs> just simply back. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A, child of God. Here at Little Things, we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. And I'm so glad you are because now you have another book coming out, mm. Taboo. Yes. Topics Christians should be talking about, but aren't. Did you come up with the name? Good name. Um, kind of. Yeah, it was a process with the team. Uh, originally, I think we called it Taboo Truth, but I kind of like the shorter, punchier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Taboo. So I can people who are watching uh, in the visual version, they came up with this really cool cover. Um. Where they took all these kind of things that we tend to avoid in Christian conversations and like blacked them out, but they have this really cool effect that if you hold it in the light, yeah. uh, the words start to appear. So yeah, it's kind of this concept that there's a lot of really important things that we deal with, but you don't hear about them much in Christian homes or churches. So we're trying to start that conversation. So yeah, thanks for uh, being willing to converse about it. Yeah. So what makes these topics taboo? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have some... I've sometimes thought, do you think talking about sex was taboo in the first century Christian church? You know, that's a good question because Paul talked about it. Right? I mean, he was just- I don't know. How would we know? How would we know that? When I'm reading of just how candidly they talk about prostitution and words like orgies come up in Galatians 5. I'm like, I don't know if I could use that in a sermon these days. Or how about circumcision? You know, (laughs) I used to teach Bible history and catechism and we get to that and I'd be like, do you all know, please tell me you all know what that means. You all know what that means, right? Right, everyone? And then you get those, these girls, you know, 12 year old girls who are like, no, no idea. What is it? 
ask your, ask your mother. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's kind of a cultural thing that culture, hmm. it might be a moving target, but we talk about some things and we don't talk about other things. And if we don't talk about certain things, it doesn't mean that those things go away. It just means that you, you feel super awkward talking about them with your pastor or your mom or your dad or your Bible study group or your best friend. And in silence, um, little things become bigger things and bad things become worse things. So that's kind of the goal of this book is to like, let's jump into the deep end. Let's talk about all that stuff that maybe your Christian parents or pastors didn't talk about. Let's grab a Bible, tackle it with grace and compassion and empathy and truth. And hopefully that helps a lot of people grow and, and find healing in Jesus. I appreciate that you um, tackle these things with the Bible in hand. Because I think one of the things that, especially parents, just coming at it from the parent perspective, our kids know far more now mm. than most of us did at their age because they have phones or their friends have phones. Even if your child doesn't have a phone, yeah. whatever their age is, their friends have phones and they can Google it. Yep. And so they're getting access to information. Yep. The question is going to be, are you going to address this from a biblical standpoint with a Bible in your hand? Yes. Or are you going to let Instagram yes. give them the answers to the questions that they have about all these super yeah. huge topics? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's not we're, we're not claiming it's going to be super comfortable. Um, but man, if the world's going to preach 99 sermons about topic A, B or C, uh, I would love for Jesus to at least get one chance. <laughs> and that happens yeah. when we have the courage to talk about it. Yeah. So the book covers things like anxiety, abortion, abuse adultery, race, politics, pornography. Um, we're talking about suicide, sexual intimacy, what makes marriage work, what breaks marriages up, mental health stuff, transgender, sexual orientation. So all that, we just we just crammed it into one big book and said, hey, as long as we're going to get uncomfortable, let's just let's be let's be all the uncomfortables at the same time. And uh, well, see what there are still other that. topics that could make you very uncomfortable, or at least would make me very uncomfortable that you haven't covered. So that can Ooh. be taboo too. Taboo part two. Yes, oh. I thought of that. It just has a nice ring to it. Cool. All right. So you talked about sex. You talked about pornography. You just listed the things you talked about. Hmm. I'd like to spend a little bit of time on divorce. That is kind of a confusing topic for Christians a lot of times. We know what God says. We know that God says, I hate divorce and what God has joined together. Men should not separate. Hmm. So why does God hate divorce so much? Oh, I was actually a little bit nervous about talking to you today. Uh, not because of you, you're easy to oh, talk. Thank to. you for that. <laughs> but I've just kind of learned that with all these topics, there's so much, there's so many layers and nuanced and different people who will hear even a question like that in such different ways. Um, you know, the, because there are people who maybe have been victims of infidelity or abuse and God was totally okay with them filing for divorce. But then they hear a, a phrase like, well, God hates divorce. And they start to think, well, did God hate what I did? Does God hate who I am? Cause I'm divorced now. So I'm, you know, if you're listening today, um, this isn't just a pitch to get the book, but Amber and I are going to try to cover in the most complete way we can without talking for hours and hours and hours. But um, just know that so many of these things we talk about are nuanced and complex and personal and situational. Um, so that being said, thinking really high level, I mean, God hates divorce, not just because of the, the emotional distress and pain, not 
just because there's so many kids who are going to have to buy a second toothbrush and another pillow. Um, th there's all these things that are so real. But I think the biggest thing is God invented marriage to be a little glimpse of the relationship between us and Jesus. You know, just a love and respect here on earth, almost like it is in heaven with Jesus and his bride. And when that's done well, it is such a, like to think, wow, a great marriage is just a little glimpse of something even greater. You know, a beautiful wedding with a feast and a beautiful bride and a husband who loves her with his whole heart. That, that I mean, that's just a glimpse. I love thinking about that at weddings that, oh, it, that's like Jesus who loves me more than a groom loves his bride walking down the aisle. And so divorce is just an interruption of that. It, it rips apart in such a painful way what God meant to endure forever, a kind of love that wouldn't start and then not finish. And I, I think that's at the heart of God's hatred of divorce. It's not necessarily both people's fault or you know this particular person's fault. It's, it's different from situation to situation, but God just loves it when we can reflect the greater things to come and, and divorce is an interruption of that. I think you mentioned in the book, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the same reality that I have. I have had two people very close to me get divorced this year. And I think they would echo that same sentiment. Like mm. I hate divorce too. Mm. I never wanted this. I yeah. never, I was hopeful, prayerful that this would never get to this, even going through all that they did. And I, I think you mentioned two different people who said, you know, I hate what this has done to our family. I mm. hate that my children aren't living with me or whatever. So, I mm. mean, as much as, I mean, divorce is really hard mm -hmm. all the way around. Even if you find it necessary, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it's a different kind of hard is what it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In an agonizing way. Right. So for the people who are divorced, what are their options after getting divorced? Some mm. people say, well, if you've been divorced and you're a Christian, you have to stay single forever. You don't, you can't get remarried. So mm. looking at the Bible, what does God say our options are if we're divorced? Ooh. Um, so I recorded an audio book version of Taboo. And I remember as I was reading the chapter I wrote on divorce, which addresses that question. I remember thinking as I'm reading it, this chapter should be so much longer. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the questions about what can person A do or person B do, which sometimes depends on what happened before the divorce and who committed which sin, because Jesus makes distinctions in divorce and sins. So, man, I don't want to turn this into the first four-hour episode of Little Things, but Real quick, let me just grab my Bible here and open to 1 Corinthians 7. Um, the Apostle Paul said, To the married, I give this command. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So the, the Bible does set up some restrictions for, okay, if a divorce happened, what now? Or if you're thinking about a divorce, what next? It, it's not just a free for all, like, yeah, it's sad. This marriage didn't work, but hey, you know, you got to do you. Um, sometimes Jesus says, no, um, you can't get divorced for any and every reason. I, I know you're not happy right now, but God's will is not just cash it in and do better next time. Mm -hmm. 
so the, the, depending what the situation is, you know, infidelity is the most obvious example where the Bible says you can go, you don't have to, but you could get divorced without sin. Um, First Corinthians seven talks about a situation called de desertion, where one person just deserts the marriage and their vow. So it really depends, I would say, pastorally on, okay, what happened? Um, it, let's say I cheated on Kim, God forbid. Could she get remarried? Yes. Um, the door would be open for her. If she wanted to reconcile with me and keep the marriage together, she could. If she wanted to leave, she could, biblically. If she wanted to get remarried to someone else, she could, biblically. But let, let, let's say I cheated, and then I decide to get a divorce, and I want to marry another woman. Is God okay with that? Uh, no, 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 he's not. Um, so the concept that we talk about in the Bible of, you know, repent of your sin and produce the fruits of repentance, which means be grieved by what God says is bad. And then, you know, reconcile and restore whatever you can. Mm -hmm. So if I stole money from someone, if I repented of my theft, I'd give the money back. And if I caused the dissolution of my marriage and I checked out and filed for divorce, and then I realized, oh my goodness, I've sinned. I did something God didn't want me to do. God's will is to restore, if at all possible, what I can. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'd start. If at all possible, to restore what God originally brought together is the, the number one option we should strive for. And then pastorally, if I'm sitting with an individual person, if, if that's not possible, if the person died, if I messed up the marriage, but now they've already remarried or they don't want to get right. back together with me, th then you have to ask really kind of personal questions of what, what does it look like to produce the fruits of repentance? But I think what I really want to avoid is what's pretty common. I'm not happy. I don't have a biblical reason to get divorced. So, okay, it's not right. I'm sorry, God, but I got to do it. And I'm just going to move on and date mm -hmm. get engaged and do it a second time. And Jesus would say, whoa, 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 nope, 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 nope. That's not the fruit of repentance. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. I don't want to be verbose, but it's complex. And I always hesitate to speak publicly to big groups of people because every situation is so unique. Yeah. I was talking to a woman just recently and she said to me, I thought it was so mature of her to say this. She said, I have come to the point of realizing, I think my marriage is just going to be my cross to bear. It's just going to be difficult. Mm. I've gone to counseling many years through many different people. And I said to her, I go, you know, it's interesting because we all have something, right? So some people have prodigal children that has mm -hmm. been their, their cross to bear. Nobody wanted to go through that. That's what they've had. Some people have health issues. Some people have finances. Some people, you know, everybody has their thing. Mm -hmm. And as we looked at her life, she's had a pretty, pretty good life. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. kids are really doing great things great career, great, a lot of things, but her marriage has been a struggle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's saying, well, I'm still just going to keep praying and working through it and realizing that maybe this is just what I have to do in mm -hmm. life. It just is what it is. I thought that was so mature of her. Yeah, wow. Like you said, so many times we go, well, I've done the counseling. Mm -hmm. I've, I've tried, I, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, Lord, yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to keep trying to glorify you in this, even though it's a really difficult marriage right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. My wife said something to me. Oh, Monday I was at a pastor's conference. I missed my small group, my life group. We're reading through the gospel of Matthew. And we got to the chapter, Matthew 19, where Jesus speaks about divorce. And when I got home from the conference, I had missed the discussion with our friends, but Kim had said, it's such an important thing to know that 
Jesus does give some people permission to leave. Because yeah. there's, I, I think a lot of us grow up in church and say, no, marriage is forever, all the time, and therefore I can never file or I'm a bad Christian. And it's really Christ himself who says, not, that's not always the case. Um, some people stay in dangerous situations as Christians because uh, a spouse who's deserted their vow um, guilts them into staying or makes them feel like they're the bad person because they, they're the one filing. I've mm -hmm. seen that too, of people using like the biblical view of marriage as a club to get what they want. And I can treat you like trash, but you have to stay with me because you're a Christian. Right. So I love what Kim was saying. It's like Jesus is so realistic that sometimes sometimes things happen where the trust is just decimated and it's, it's mm -hmm. not just hard, it's almost unbearable. And yeah. what, what mercy of him to say, it, it's not ideal, but sometimes you're in a situation where it's okay to walk away and yeah. God's not mad and you're not leaving him behind. You made that point in the way you wrote that chapter. I really appreciated it. You said something like, I'm not talking at the person who has to stay in their marriage. I'm not talking about the person who makes it sound good to the pastor, but then goes home and lies and manipulates and abuses his, like you mm -hmm. made, you brought that out. Like mm -hmm. there are people that make it look one way, mm -hmm. you know, they, they can put on a go good show, even at church, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. but behind closed doors, their family is suffering terribly. And you mm -hmm. did make that distinction. Like, I'm not talking to you guys because I get that this is a problem for mm -hmm. some of you. And, and Jesus doesn't expect you to stay in this. So yeah. I appreciated that very much that you had that. Mm. Okay. Let's flip the page. Um, you were talking about transgenderism and you talked about it in a way that I haven't heard spoken about before. I really appreciated it. You spoke mm -hmm. very sensitively, delicately about this. You brought up suicide among people who struggle with this. So what is the suicide rate and what's going on in the way that a person feels who mm. is struggling with transgenderism? Yeah. Yeah. A number of years ago, I'm sitting in my office actually right now. And there's a guy sitting right here, just a few feet from where I am in this moment. And he had battled with um, what some people call gender dysphoria, feeling like he was trapped. You know, he was biologically male, but he, he felt female. He felt like he said, I think I have a female brain was how he put it. And the, uh, the way he described his experience was, um, he said, pastor, you know, when you get caught in a rainstorm comes out of nowhere and you just get soaked mm -hmm. and you know, you're wearing, let's say you're wearing a t-shirt and it, it's just, it's so wet. It just sticks to you. And the first thing you want to do is just get inside, peel that off your body and like get dry. Cause you feel so mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And he said that that's how I feel about my my male body. I, I feel like it's sticking to me and it's just so irritating. Yeah. You know, and he described it that way. And then I read these statistics that the, the suicide rate among people who struggle with gender dysphoria is catastrophically high. It's like so sobering. And it, it just made me realize I've never dealt with that feeling before. Mm -hmm. But if, if this percentage of people don't just consider self harm, but they actually attempt to end their own life like that they feel like that's their only escape wow I, I need to lean in to people's stories and just realize what a difficult thing it is to say well you're a guy be a guy yeah. god made you a woman all right so choose the right bathroom dress like you should um it's easy to be blunt and black and white like that and i'm not trying to compromise the truth here at all but it just 
turned my empathy up from a one to a to a ten really fast. Like that is a cross I have never had to bear, and it sounds heavier than anything I've ever had to bear in my whole life. Right. So, with that in mind, what what approach would you give to parents and grandchildren? Let's face it: in the Christian community, grandparents and parents some are struggling with children who come home and say yeah. i don't i don't think that i am meant to be a boy or i don't yeah. think i'm meant to be a girl so what approach do you give for helping mm -hmm. people with this struggle who have yeah. a child or grandchild yeah great question that does happen a lot and maybe it's someone's story who's listening right now i mean it's not someone else maybe it's them um I think like many taboo issues, uh, the book of James says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think when it's an issue like this, when you know a, a child comes out as gay or a granddaughter says, I think I'm actually a boy. Um, wow. Maybe in the confusion or in the fear of where that's going to lead, we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And even with a Bible in our hand, we just start <laughs> quoting passages. But I, I think it's so important to to recognize it's going to be a long dialogue and you're going to go a long way if you just listen and do your best to understand what another person's been through. Yeah. Um, so be, be clothed with compassion. Um, you're not, you're not tearing any pages out of the Bible, just trying to understand what a person's thinking, what they're feeling, what they've been through, what they've experienced, how they're processing it spiritually. That's going to determine my tone, the text I pick really, really carefully. Um, and then, you know, when that, when that moment comes to talk about, Okay, what, what, what are you? Um, are you male? Are you female? Mm -hmm. who, who gets to decide that? Yeah. Um, I, I always start. I talk about this a lot at a local high school. I always start with Genesis one, where in the very first chapter of the Bible it says God created them male and female. Mm -hmm. So I notice the subject and the object of created. You know, God is the one who creates. God is the one. Yeah. who makes them male or female. And then the very next verse, it says, and then God said to them, the male and the female, um, be fruitful and multiply. So in the first use of male and female in the Bible, it's connected to human reproduction and fruitfulness. Um, so I, I try to help people logically see the, the Bible doesn't separate gender as like a just personal psychological thing within me. Mm -hmm. It's actually a, a biological thing that God created me with, which is why the word gender is really closely linked to words like um, genetics or genitals or the ability to um, create a new generation of children who are called your progeny. So uh, even the English language is trying to teach us gen, 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 gen isn't a yeah. feeling or a self-conception it's actually something that can be tested and seen. It's more mm -hmm. biological than, than mental. Um, I don't know if the analogy is helpful, but if my daughter was anorexic and she said, I feel fat. And if she was 95 pounds with as much empathy as I could, I would say, I understand how you're feeling, honey, but that, that feeling isn't factual. That, that's not mm -hmm. the actual body that you have. That, that's not how you are. And with gentleness and with a lot of counseling and a lot of love, I would try to, her, to get her feelings to align with what is actually true. So someone who's dealing with gender dysphoria, I have no, no doubt those feelings are real and mm -hmm. intense. 
and incredibly uncomfortable, just like I have to imagine someone with an eating disorder sees themselves in a in that powerful way. But but we, we don't we don't operate on just validating however you feel must be true. There's other outside standards that we use to to judge ourselves and each other. So I'd want to grab my Bible after a lot of listening, get to page one. Yeah. And work really hard to be a supportive parent or grandparents. It, it's not going to be easy in our culture where 98 other voices are going to say, no, 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 how you feel is how you are. But that's, mm -hmm. that's just not how God defines truth. His word is truth and not how we feel about it. And so much what you said, I think is so true in terms of identity. I mean, it has to go back to who are you? Because whether you're 95 pounds or 295 pounds, who are you? You're a child of God. You know, our thoughts, especially when we're young, but at any age really can get in the way of so much of God's truth. You know, what you really want these people to know is you are God's child. As a all of our feelings and all the other thoughts, man, we're going to battle those all the day of our life. But yeah. what is truth going back to the Bible? That's so yeah. important. Yeah. Okay. Switching gears oh, mm -hmm. to a hard subject. Oh, we're, I don't we're, know we're about you. Hard ones yet. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's an election year. Uh -huh. I have already started on little things. It hasn't aired yet, but I've already started talking about, you know, how to deal with an election year. And in my small group, we met on Saturday at a coffee shop and we were praying for this year. <laughs> and I don't, 2020 was rough. Mm. I, I don't want a recall. I don't want a, that's a bad word. I shouldn't have said recall. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, I don't want a redo of 2020, but mm. so we're going to talk politics a little bit. First, give us what is the difference between the role of government and the role of church? Mm. I'll tell you once you tell me who you're going to vote for. Go. I don't know. I don't even know who's going to be on the ballot. I haven't paid attention at all. <laughs> can we just write Jesus in as a write-in? And can uh, I think you did that once, didn't you? You wasted your vote. I think I have. I think I yeah. Have. I think you. Yeah, did. it's a really big question. So actually, I was I actually approached Time of Grace a couple weeks ago and said I really think we should create just a little booklet that's like preparing your heart for the election. <laughs> yeah, it's not that's, bad simply meant like so many of us, we get angry, we get fearful, we lose our peace, we lose our hope, we end up divided. Uh, I realized the fruit of the spirit versus the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5, like, I'm like, that sounds like an election year. That, <laughs> that sounds like exactly what happens to us when political tensions get high. Right. Um, so I don't know if that book will happen. Um, they said, that's a good idea, Mike, why don't you write it? And I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't, I don't know if I have time for that. But I did do some really quick research after the discussion, and I typed in every kind of government-related word and read every New Testament passage that says uh, governor, um, taxes, um, rule, throne, um, authority. And do you know what I found out? I found out that the New Testament uses those words all the time, but rarely for political rulers for how we should respond to them? Is that how it uses them? It, it's incredibly rare, incredibly rare. It instead talks about the throne of Jesus, the oh. kingdom of God, the Prince of Peace, that God rules in our hearts, that mm. his kingdom is coming. Like, and you think of this, I mean, Paul literally wrote a big long letter in the New Testament called Romans <laughs> to people living 
in Rome. <laughs> like they're they're in like the shadow of Caesar and the Roman Senate. You would have thought if Paul's gonna drop like some serious theology, and he puts in he puts in like two paragraphs. It's it's the longest section in the New Testament. The New Testament is so focused on the kingdom of God and the rule of Jesus in our hearts. It says pay taxes. Yep, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Um, yep, here's what the government's for. But it is such a footnote in the New Testament story. It's not unimportant. Matters of justice mattered to Paul. That's why he wrote Romans 13 and Peter wrote 1 Peter 2. But I would just like encourage you during this election year, let yeah. the political headlines be the footnote of your 2024. Um, this is not the election year. This is a year where Jesus is still on the throne and a U.S. election is happening. And if we can remember that, we're going to be okay. It sounds great to me. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. So I, I think we need to think practically if our brain is being filled with more of earthly thrones and rulers and our soul isn't being filled up with the great message of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, of, of course, we're going to be afraid and angry and worried and, and vicious. Um, so you can watch your cable news, maybe, but maybe you can have a New Testament balance where you get a paragraph of that for 16 chapters of good theology from the scriptures. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to push you a little bit more. So the role of government versus the role of church, because sometimes we get this confused. What is our government there for? Why? I mean, how is our government and what we should expect from that different yeah. from what we should expect at church? Yeah, that's so important. Um, it's very tempting to think if we just got all Christians yeah. in all the positions, um, then, then the kingdom would come. That's what I'm getting at. What right. should we expect from our government but, um, versus think about what we can get at church? Think about that. Jesus cares so much about the heart. I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if there's hatred in your heart or lust in your eyes, like that matters to God. Uh, imagine if the government operated by that standard, if they were judging the thoughts and attitude, not what you actually did. Did you pay your taxes? Uh, yes, sir. Every penny. Um, but did, did you, you do want it joyfully? To? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, Police were, officer pulls you over. You were speeding. Yes. What were you thinking when but, you were speeding? <laughs> you were under the speed limit, but were you thinking about going over? <laughs> right. So, I mean, we just kind of know, right, when we say that, that we we don't want prison time for thoughts or motivations. Yeah. Um, we don't want guns and handcuffs to be the threat to force someone to believe in Jesus, like you could do that. So I, I think that's a good reminder to us of what the Bible does say, that God is the head of both church and state, but he has given them different roles and different goals. Right. The church is uh, meant to preach the, go the, long go the gospel, make disciples of all nations. The state, if you read Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, is meant to punish the guilty and protect the innocent. So I don't need my president to lead me in prayer. I do need him to protect innocent people in this country. Mm -hmm. I, I, I need him to not show favoritism or take bribes. I need him to punish the guilty, that there can be law and order and justice and righteousness. And when it comes to the Ten Commandments and when it comes to prayer and when it comes to believing in Jesus, I don't need my public schools to do that. I don't need my town hall forums to pass out Bibles. I'm okay if the government promotes law and order and justice. 
And we Christians, hopefully in a safe environment that the state creates, can do our work by grabbing our Bibles and sharing law and gospel. Ooh, that's going to hurt some people. Mm. Because should we expect our leaders, our governors, our mayors, our presidents to be Christians and uphold Christian values? I, I can't find a word of that in the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, but Paul had every chance. Peter did too. Um, man, Caesar was not a man of Christian values. Mm-hmm. Right? Their taxes were building temples to Zeus and Aphrodite. But Paul and Peter just seemed so... They had a place for it. You know, Paul appealed, yeah. remember when he was arrested in Jerusalem, he appealed to his rights as a Roman citizen. So he didn't totally discount the state, uh, human rights, those kind of things, the laws. But he just did not seem to be concerned with, we have to pass some legislation so that... <laughs> that just wasn't his jam. He was about changing yeah. human hearts, which he thought would change the society from the inside out. And he thought the state was just meant to keep it on the track so we don't tear each other apart in human sinfulness. So no, I I mean, if someone promoted the cause of justice, I'm okay if they're an atheist. Um, not okay in the sense that I won't want to change their heart with the word of God, but that's not how I walk into an election hoping to vote. I'm after maximum justice and those who will defend it. Yeah, Paul and Peter both lost their lives at the hands of rulers who didn't support what they were doing. Yeah. So yeah, true. Okay. So what is the problem with Christians becoming overly vocal and ambitious about elections, parties, candidates, all of this? Hmm. I think once we put too much hope and trust and focus in earthly rulers, um, that root produces a whole bunch of nasty fruit. And a lot of us have experienced it. I've experienced that too, where Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And it's election night and you're very worried about tomorrow. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Yep. He he took care of the birds and the flowers. He's got you. Um, I think we, instead of loving our neighbor or loving across the aisle, we turn on people and we can start to slander or gossip or believe the worst or hope they fail. Um, you know, how many people can do a snarky impression of Donald Trump or joke about Joe Biden every time he falls in his age? Um, those are not loving things, but man, when you just love your party so much, everyone else is a target and a joke. And that's just not, that that's not at all Christian. I think we know that. I think we know that. Um, Jesus just offers something so much better. He wants to save us from hatred and bitterness and fear. And the way he does that is how the New Testament does that. It focuses the the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His kingdom endures forever, can't be touched. Um, You're you're part of it if you have faith in Jesus, so don't be afraid. Um, Mm -hmm. seek, Seek justice, seek the good of the land you live in. Speak well of the rulers who rule over you. Oh man, the New Testament will, will challenge you on that. King or King David of the Old Testament. I, I can't raise a hand against Saul. He's mm-hmm. he's the Lord's anointed. Um, he had a willingness to suffer under his government because he mm-hmm. he didn't want the concept of government to be torn down. So yeah, there. This is so important for us. And if just there's one button I could push on modern Christianity, 
is if we're Bible people, let's take this part of the Bible seriously, because a lot of us don't, to be frank. A lot of us don't. Good advice. Saul wasn't even a good ruler. I mean, in so many ways, Saul wasn't even a good ruler. And yet David and David had been anointed as the next king already. So, you know, he knew that it was coming down the line. But like you said, he refused to bring it about by his own hand. Good stuff. You quoted John Wesley. I love this. John Wesley was an English theologian, and he was one of the founders of the Methodist church. And he said, vote for who you determine to be most worthy. Speak no evil of the one you voted against and take care your spirit isn't sharpened against those who voted on the other side, which seems like super solid advice. Mm -hmm. What else can we do as Christians? So we're heading in now, caucuses, all this is ramping up. Besides this, which is really good advice, what else can we do as Christians to get through this election year in a godly mm -hmm. way? Yeah. Um, this is going to sound like trite advice from a pastor, um, but I've, I've learned a little bit about algorithms and what makes something popular. And I'm not an expert, but I, I think this is true, that anger and fear are hard to ignore. That I might not check the weather, but if I'm fearing like some terrible storm, it's gonna, like I'm glued to, right? So it's this cycle of if yeah. the, the people who make shows and run ads know that if they can convince you, this is the election of all elections and everything is at stake. And if we lose, if they can make you afraid, which translates into anger, they know that you'll keep watching. And, and let's not be naive that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and uh, ad dollars and fear mongering is a huge part of that. So I would just say if, if your connection to this election is causing you to have more anxiety and fear and, and less hope and peace, let that just be a little nudge from the spirit to shape what we put into our hearts. And instead, I'm gonna just read the Psalms that they're not dishonest or naive about the brokenness of this world, but they always come back to, but God's my rock. He's yeah. my refuge. He's my strength. He's my king. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be okay. David's running from an unjust ruler and he's writing Psalms of this. This is terrible, but I still rejoice and I have hope because uh, I have God's unfailing love. So a, a, psalm, <laughs> a psalm a day can keep election year fear away. So a <laughs> little less news, li little more Bible. Who would have thought the pastor's telling you to read the Bible? I know, but it, it really does work. So there's the title of your book that you're going to write on politics, a psalm a day. <laughs> Yes. Come to me for all your advice on good titles. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So you talked, this was such a, were you nervous to write this book? True story. Did, mm. Was this hard to write? I mean, I know you talked about in the beginning how this is a conglomeration of many years, many sermon series, many books, da, da, da. Yeah. but is this nerve wracking? Is this hard to write about all um, these sensitive topics? Um, You know, all, all these topics were birthed out of messages that I preached at our church here in Appleton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what would always happen is <laughs> there'd be that like nervous, oh man, God, help, help me say this well. This yeah. is so complex. All these things are so complex. Help, help me be clear. But afterwards, when I could just see 
the the clarity, the understanding, the relief, the gratitude. Yeah. I realize that talking taboo is uncomfortable, but on the other side of that discomfort is something really, really great. It's better than mm -hmm. just not talking about it at all. Yeah. And so I get a little nervous of ooh, how people are going to push back if you're super political yeah. or if you just want to get a divorce or, yeah. you know, whatever the situation is. But I've just seen it up close too often in my own eyes to think it's a bad idea mm -hmm. to pray passionately and do your best to talk about these kind of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm more excited, I think, and hopeful for this book than anxious about someone leaving the caps lock on and, you know, blasting the, the time yeah. of grace email account. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last question. So you talked about pornography, you talked about alcoholism. So for people who are walking alongside of somebody who's admitted, you know, they've already said, yep, I've got the problem and I'm, I'm struggling through probably not the best way to deal with it and walk alongside them is every time they pull out their phone, be like, so what are you looking up? Or every time she's getting ready to go out saying, are you drinking tonight? Or where, where are you at with that? So hmm. how can we support the people around us after they come to us and say, Hey, I've got a problem with this. Hmm. What would you tell people on the other side? What can we do to help them out? Oh man. Yeah. Loving someone who's an addict is th th that's a cross to bear. Um, knowing when to be tough and when to be tender mm -hmm. and to bring them back to Jesus who forgives the sins we seem to commit on repeat um, and when to let them fall on their faces and hit bottom. So they, f they finally realize this is an idol that's trying to kill them. Um, that, you know, Martin Luther 500 years ago said the difference between the law and the gospel, the tough and the tender is really easy on paper, but if you can actually do it with a real human, we should make you a doctor of theology. Because that's really the question, right? Yeah. Does, does my brother, does my friend, does my spouse, does my dad need an arm around the shoulder or kick in the pants? Do, do I need to show up and cancel my plans to just show compassion and love? Or do I just have to put away my phone and say, you got to reap what you sow for a bit? Mm -hmm. um, th these are really hard questions. My, my encouragement would be if you have a loved one who is an addict, um, get into a support group with people in that same situation. Um, you know, I think of Al-Anon and, you know, those who for a living work with addicts and their loved ones. Um, that just gives a little bit of perspective. There's a lot of wisdom, I think, in that room. People who know the tricks, who know the patterns, who know what helps, who know what doesn't, who will keep you accountable so you don't become like codependent and enabling. Yeah. I think that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, so th that that's what I'd say. Just pre be prepared for a marathon. This is good work that God has called you to do to love someone who's an addict. Um, you're gonna need a lot of support and people filling up your tank so that you can pour out and love them when they need it most. Mm -hmm. So yeah, don't try to fight that battle alone. God gave us the church and other people with lots of wisdom. So the Proverbs tell us to lean into that. And what's the passage in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Um, so that's where I turn people to find a good support network and uh, lean on them when you need them the most. Good word. Okay, where can people go to get this book? Yeah, there's a special website. It's tabubook.org. Taboo, T-A-B-O-O, book.org. You can get a free um, first chapter if you want to just get a little peek 
Um, let me re before we say goodbye, can I read the titles of the chapters? Yes, of course. Oh, oh I like these. So there's how to deal with anxiety, God's to do's for the depressed, talking taboo, suicide. Sex is good. Sex is work. Sex is fiery. Um, four chapters on gay and God, one on God and transgender, living together before marriage, an option for Christians, question mark. What makes marriage work and wonderful? Adultery, how to avoid it and what to do after it. When friends cheat, God's crash course on divorce, racism, politically incorrect, Jesus and drinking, porn among God's people, the second best way to quit porn, God's word to the abused, the abusive, to the church about abuse, and two chapters on abortion, the womb and the woman. So we crammed in 29 separate chapters on what we could think of as the most urgent uh, needs of our time. Uh, open Bible, grace and truth, and uh, we hope God's going to bless it. I think this would be an excellent book for every church library. Hmm. Even if people don't get their own copy, every church should have one so that the people can check it out. If you're just dealing with one of those issues yeah, and want to see, okay, biblically, and maybe before you are brave enough to go talk to your pastor, yeah, yeah. maybe before you're brave enough to figure out what's the next step, you could check it out. So yeah, hopefully yeah, that I, will happen. Can yeah. I pitch a, a little kind of niche dream I have for this book is that family members would buy it for their high school grads mm. that you're going to go out to college and maybe you never thought about this. You grew up in the church. You don't know anyone who's trans yes. or um, you've never struggled with pornography yourself or, you know, fill in the fill in the blank. I'm just picturing a college freshman, you know, going into a big new world and maybe they don't read the book cover to cover, but it's there. And yes. that moment comes when I get back from class or I, I, I do something I regret or I have a question about. And just to open it and read those seven pages of chapter or whatever, yeah. um, I, I really think that could be a blessing to a lot of families and a lot of young Christians. That is an excellent idea. Having had a freshman go off to college last year, I get it very much. That yeah. is an excellent idea. Good stuff. Well, I hope I hope it does very well. God's blessings. Thank you for having the courage to write it for sure. There were times that I blushed as I was reading this book, but we are not going to talk about those today. So that is for another episode, which will never be recorded. <laughs> now I'm curious, but I'll let it go. I'll, I'll respect your privacy. Well, let's just put it this way. Anybody who reads this book, my daughter gave me a um, bracelet that's called Made to, it says Made to Worship on it. Do you remember your um, chapter on sex in the worship center? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I was wearing this bracelet, reading your book, blushing <laughs> profusely. I went to coffee with a friend. I explained it to her. She said, don't ever describe to Steve. Don't let him read that chapter. Don't let him see the bracelet. You will never see the end of him. <laughs> So that's just a little teaser. You have to buy the book. I'm not describing it any further. I'm not going in. You will have to buy the book. You will have to read the chapter on sex. And then you think of Amber walking around with her made to worship bracelet. <laughs> Time of Grace just gets a hefty donation from Steve Swenson. Like, what is this? <laughs> All right. That's, that's the best part this of my This has day. been Little Things. <laughs> yeah.